I'm going to start today by just offering a short thank you. The last month uh, has been full of many and various joys and struggles for my family. About three weeks ago, I was diagnosed with kidney stones that required surgery. About a week and a half later, the surgery was successful but offered more complications that put me back in the hospital. And so I've been gone for a bit. Pastor Milky has, and many of my coworkers, have covered and, and taken things for me on my behalf, which I'm utterly thankful for. In the midst of that fun adventure, Rachel gave birth to a new child, Vera Marie Davis, who is healthy and doing well, number five. So it's been exciting for us, to say the least. And through it all, we have simply been overwhelmed by the love, support, and encouragement we have received from, from you, the people of Trinity. And so we just want to say thank you. Your prayers have been an unbelievable and great gift while we have been going through some mountains and valleys ourselves. In the midst of all this, I know your lives weren't put on pause either. You too have had celebration and joy. You too have had loss and heartache and grief and, and mourning. So I've had a lot of extra time to pray for you guys, and I have been. So thank you. This is what we do as a family of faith, is it not? Supporting each other in prayer and in fellowship and in ministry. And through it all, no matter what we've experienced, no matter where the Lord is taking us in our lives, it's, there's one truth that still remains, Jesus is King. And that is the truth we all cling to. Jesus is always King. And this Advent season, the season we now come to, is a season of waiting for that King. Waiting for His coming. And it can be difficult because God is patient. He, he outweights us very frequently. The Jews had to wait hundreds of years for this, this King to come. Hundreds of years since that prophecy Malachi had offered to now the prophet John coming amongst them. And we live in a culture that seems to have lost the ability to, to be patient, to wait. Uh, a culture that's on demand, a culture that's instant gratification, a, a culture where you don't even have to fight the malls for Christmas shopping anymore. You can order it online, and within two days, it's on your doorstep. Yet I'd like to venture that our culture hasn't completely lost the ability to wait. One of my favorite things to do is go to a baseball game, and I like to get there early to catch batting practice. Catch the BP, maybe get some balls or see the players. That way when the game starts, I'm in my seat, I'm ready to go, I'm prepared. Or go to the movies. What do you watch for 20 minutes before it starts? The previews. Why? Because they want you to stop talking by the time the movie actually starts. But even as we, we gather for worship, it's a time of waiting. Or should be. Sometimes we're just glad we made it through the door. But, but to actually come here early, to be able to sit, to pray, to prepare your heart and mind for what you're about to receive in this great Eucharist. You see, we're called to wait by our God frequently. And so it's a, it's a rhythm. It's a rhythm of, of preparation. This is exactly what, what John is doing. When John is sent ahead of Jesus, he's sent ahead to prepare the way, and he becomes the last prophet. He becomes the last in a long line of prophets because he... He is the last one to prepare the way for he who fulfills all things. 
that was prophesied. All the prophets did were pointing to the Christ. And now John is saying he is here. He is coming. Now God is going to move quickly. And for hundreds of years, he had seemed so, so slow. And so Luke sets the stage for John coming into this, this moment. And he gives us a very interesting recollection of, of political figures. He says, in the 15th year of Tiberius. Well, the interesting thing is we actually know the 15th year of Tiberius' reign was 28 to 29 A.D. And when Pilate was governor of Judea, which we know was from 26 to 36 A.D., and we know Herod was tetrarch from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. And then Philip was tetrarch from 4 B.C. to 33 A.D. We know Annas and Caiaphas were high priests from 18 to 36 A.D. And that all falls within then this realm of the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign, 28 to 29 A.D. Luke is giving us this point in time, about 28, 29 A.D., when John was prophesying in the wilderness about this coming Messiah. And what he's also doing, he gives this framework from the top of the Roman government all the way down to the, the government even of Israel, both political and spiritual leaders of the time. And that entire hierarchy, that entire system will be undone by this one who is king of all. And who is John among such names? But the son of Zechariah, some Levite priest. Except by the power of God that sends John on a mission to proclaim the word that mountains may be torn down and valleys filled so that all flesh may see salvation in the form of the man Jesus. Over the next few weeks in Advent, we're going to actually be continuing the story of John in the beginning of his ministry, which lays out the beginning of Jesus' ministry, which is only a few short years. And then we're going to go back and we're going to actually go to the Annunciation, uh, not the Annunciation, the Visitation, when Jesus and John actually meet in utero and have this incredible experience before we finally come to the birth of Christ on Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. We're going to kind of be jumping around in the timeline a little bit. And as we hear this story, we hear about John who prepares the way for this Savior. Who came as a babe, but truly his ministry then began in this 28 to 29 years, almost 2,000 years ago. And John prepares the way by offering repentance with his baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And the reason he does this is he's preparing people for the king whose kingdom is one of forgiveness of sins. So what is sin? A lot of times we think sin is bad things done by bad people. But then we have to ask, but who even defines then bad? And most of us are, are left to our own devices to define bad as slightly worse than us. But, but sin is much more than that. Sin is, is misdirected desire. In fact, the word itself means to, to miss the mark. So anytime we take the desire, desire uh, destined for God and, and aim it at something less, we, we miss the mark. So when we, when we seek for meaning, ultimate meaning in companionship, we should ultimately find ourselves seeking the companionship of God. But oftentimes, we replace that with maybe the companionship of a partner, maybe the companionship of a spouse, or maybe for, for students in school, the, the companionship of fitting in the right social group. So we compromise who we are. We change who we are to try to get acceptance. 
more concerned with the acceptance of man than of God. Or provision. A lot of us put a lot of hope and trust in our ability to work and provide for ourselves, and so we have our paycheck, we have our job, and that allows us to get clothing and and food and shelter and do the things we want to do instead of trusting God to provide. And so we cling to what we have. Or, or we even compromise who we are and we, we, uh, we, we are willing to undermine other people and manipulate and control to be able to get a leg up or, or get farther ahead or get a little bit more for me. Instead of trusting that God has given us all we need. Or the, or the thoughts we harbor against people when we speak real nice to their face, but inside we curse them. Or the idols that we turn to instead of God. You see, sometimes we're under this idea that sin is things that bad people do, and I'm kind of okay, but Paul says all of sin falls short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Even sweet little Vera Marie now is a sinner in need of a Savior who Savior bled and died for her. We need forgiveness because sin separates us from God. And and the worst part about it is often the separation is self-inflicted. We want to reject the king because we'd rather be autonomous. We'd rather have freedom. We'd rather be our own king. Instead of waiting around for this one, this God, this king. And so the Lord sends a savior, a king, to save us even from ourselves. And the God who is so patient in the prophet Malachi appears to now move quite quickly as he says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against those who, and he talks about sorcerers and adulterers and stuff, but, but ultimately comes down to this, I will be a swift witness against those who do not fear me. Now the judgment of God for those who fear the Lord is a good thing. It's a day where this all comes to fulfillment. But for those who do not fear the Lord, it is a day of judgment, not in a good way. And the Lord who is slow so often now acts quickly and swiftly. Now what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is an awe, a reverence, a respect for His power. We have to understand His power. And when we truly come to terms with His power, it unsettles us. Because if you understand that, that you need God. If you understand that, that we know we need Him and we understand there's no help beside Him, you have to ask yourself the question, what if He stops? What if He forsakes me? What if He forgets me? Who am I that the King of the universe and Creator of all things would remember me? And that is a scary place. And that is why John levels the way so that we can see the Christ. Because then we come to know who God is. Of mercy and forgiveness and love. There is no help beside him. But he does help. He does not forget us, his children. We we like to live in this lie of self-saving. That we can figure it out ourselves. But we can't. Have you ever been at the complete mercy of somebody? I mean, to the point that you had no help, there was no light, there was no, there was no hope of escape. You know, Jesus would say you were all prisoners, and the Jews say, well, we, we're sons of Abraham. We weren't enslaved to anybody. No, you're enslaved to sin. 
There, there is no great plot of escape or, or salvation by ourselves. There is no great hope that we can just figure it out if we try a little bit harder. We need Him. And only when we're completely at mercy to Him. And there is nothing you can do for yourself can we understand this. Because as long as there is even the smallest glimmer of hope that I can save myself, I won't look for a Savior. And there is no need for Jesus or a king or anyone else. I'll just do it myself. We find ourselves in one of two groups. We're either waiting for the Messiah or we have found another source of salvation. And if that's the case, then it's a false source of salvation. Because the Messiah alone can save. John came to prepare the way so that all may see the Messiah and come to know him. The mountains leveled, the the valleys filled. Why? The crooked roads straight, the, the, the bumpy roads smooth. Why? So that all flesh, it says, all flesh may see salvation. Yet unfortunately, we know that seeing is not always believing. The king is coming. Brothers and sisters, the king is coming and we are called to wait. The king is coming. The king has come. And the king will come again. And he overthrows all nations. He brings them all under his his reign and his rule. But even greater than that, he brings salvation to us, his children. But for now, we are called to wait. This is why Advent is a season of repentance and reflection on our own need for a Savior. We need this King to come for our sake, for the sake of the world. And now we wait because what has been fully revealed in Christ, the King of all the universe, yet is not fully revealed until He comes again. And we partake in that great that great host of all the saints of heaven, the great celebration of the banquet feast of the Lamb. And so even the songs of the season are pregnant with with longing and anticipation and even a a hint of sadness and and pain and mourning. And my favorite songs, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive me that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. There is no salvation outside of Christ. There is no forgiveness by any other name. The King is coming. But for now, we must wait. 